We will continue to sing, no matter what, by God's grace, whether we have amplification or not, His Word will be preached, uh, whether we have amplification or not. It's a blessing, but not a necessity. Um, so, amen. Um, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the senior pastor here. Welcome if you're a guest with us. We're glad you're with us. We pray God's blessing on you. And um, we get to worship today. We're glad you're here with us as we worship in many forms through singing, sharing, through the preaching of God's Word, through our time together, just being together in His presence, worshiping. We get, are going to get to do that two more times this week, uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Just uh, let me get a show of hands. Who is planning to be here for our Christmas Eve candlelight? Five? Excellent. Wow, wonderful. And uh, how about Christmas Day? Usually a little smaller crowd, 11 a.m.? Excellent. Um, that's a little more of an intimate group and uh, uh, a family Christmas, Christmas message. We'll have it a little geared to the children a little more. Wonderful. Looking forward to worshiping with you this week. Um, we are continuing in our Advent series, and this last theme is love. So I want to talk this morning about the love of God. That verse, uh, that passage that was read by Bruce Michelle, who did a fantastic job reading through that, uh, speaks about God's love in that passage. And I'm going to focus in on one particular section. I'll, I'll talk about some of the other sections as well, but I really want to focus in on one verse, uh, and that is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Anyone know what verse I'm talking about? Have a guess. John 3.16, right. That, that verse that somehow appears in all different places at football games. They have, you know, it says John 3.16. I had a friend who didn't know the Bible, didn't, uh, I don't think he knew Christ, said, what does John 3.16 have to do with football? Why is it always there? Is it like, you know, run the ball with all your heart? Is that what it says? You know, why, why do they have John 3.16 at the football game? And it's, well, I think it's because someone wants people to know about the love of God, the truth of the gospel. This wonderful verse, um, and I can read it actually, but if there's someone who's bold and knows the verse, can, can you uh, go for it? Amy? Say it again, nice and loud. It, great, thanks. Excellent. Good job, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> that, that's great. Not only to have the scripture memorized, Amy, but to be bold and to serve us by sharing. Thank you so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is a verse that is well known. It's set in this context of this dialogue with Nicodemus, uh, this, this leader, this Jewish leader, this Pharisee, um, who really represented everything that, that the Israel could offer, the very best of Israel. And yet he fell short. And Jesus was very appointed in this conversation to point out to him that he had fallen short, that with all his learning, all that he had, unless he was born again, he could not see the kingdom. And, and he's you know, baffled by this, and there's this wonderful interaction. But in this section, as it talks about the truths here, Jesus talks about the gospel, the, the, the truth of Christ dying for sins, uh, to pay for sins and to, to bring forgiveness and eternal life. And that's where this verse falls in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a wonderful, fantastic verse. It's really astounding, but for us, we're so used to hearing it, aren't we? I mean, it's, uh, I think you don't necessarily have to be a churchgoer to have heard this verse already, or at least to see it referenced in football games and so forth. And it's, we are in danger, actually, of, of kind of treating it with contempt because we're so familiar with it. 
We've heard it over and over again. It's just that verse, John 3.16, that's so familiar. And we live in a culture that is full of expressions of how we are loved, right? I mean, it's a, actually a fairly modern thing for so much of our culture to talk about loving one another. So uh, we learn, kids learn very young, uh, little that um, Barney loves them, right? Barney loves everybody. Everybody's special. They're loved. We, I grew up on Mr. Rogers and, and learned about being loved. You watch talk shows and people will say, you know, I love you or we love you. It's just, it's used all the time. The word is used all the time, and it's, it's an expression that we hear so much that we take it for granted. So when John 3.16 is read, we think, well, of course. Barney loves me. Mr. Roger loves me. God loves me. We all love me. Uh, I love everybody. We're good. And so we miss the weight and the profundity of this expression. It's, it's really amazing that this is here. And I want to take time to to delve into it. I want to take time for us to understand that this expression of God's love for us should stand apart from all other expressions. And I don't mean to downplay saying I love you, even Barney saying I love you, all those things. I don't mean to say we shouldn't do that. But when God says I love you, when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that should be a a statement that's heard loud and clear above the din of the constant expressions of love that in themselves are meaningful. But this expression is most meaningful. This expression of God's love is most fantastic. This expression of God's love is something that should amaze us day by day and moment by moment, something that should shape us and compel us and create a new way of living in us and empower us to love others. This statement is really about God's infinite redeeming and inviting love. And those are the three points I want to talk about in this. The whole gist of it, though, is my hope and prayer is that as we look at this, we will be amazed by God's love. So let's talk about God's love. Let's talk about it being infinite, redeeming, and inviting. The Scripture speaks of God's love uh, in different places. There is one verse in Ephesians that's really a fantastic verse. And if you study this, um, I think you'll see that, that there's some incredibly profound things being said about God and his love. Uh, if you could just follow along as I read Ephesians three eighteen to 19. Uh, Paul is praying for the Ephesians, his friends, and he wants them to know this love. He says for them that he prays that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul wants the Ephesians to understand the dimensions of God's love. The dimensions, the breadth and length, height and depth. To know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That seems kind of, that's an interesting statement. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How can we know it if it surpasses knowledge? Well, we can know part of it. We can't know all of it. It's, it's beyond knowing. It doesn't mean we can't know it. We are to know it. We're to experience it. We're to understand it. We're to live in it. And for the believer, this is your eternal pursuit to know more and more the, knowledge, the love of God that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's infinite. You'll never stop knowing his love. You'll never say, yeah, got it. I know his love. I know how much he loves me. You'll never say that. It surpasses knowledge. But you will know it and are to know it more and more. Paul prays this. 
And he prays that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, when you start to get a grasp of God's love, you start to get a grasp of God's person. To be filled with the fullness of God. To have God fill you, the infinite God, fill a finite being, comes through knowing his love. It's an infinite love. Now, John 3.16 talks about the fact that it's infinite from a slightly different angle. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. When we say something is so this, right? If we say God so loved the world, we expect an explanation to come to describe its dimension, right? To describe like how much is so. So is a lot, but how much? If I were to say the Grand Canyon is so large, what would you expect me to say next? It, is, it can be seen from outer space. The Grand Canyon is so large that it generates and dissipates its own weather within the canyon. There can be snowstorms that come up in the Grand Canyon, travel through the canyon, and dissipate in the canyon because it's so large. It has its own weather systems. It's so large, it's probably never been explored completely. It's so large, it, it, it covers 277 miles in length, 20 miles in width, and it's a mile deep. So if I say the Grand Canyon is so large, you expect me to, to give something to, to, that communicates just how large it is. It's, we expect it to be very large, if I say that, but how large? So when it says God so loved the world, we expect that this love must be great. There must be a greatness to it. And then an explanation of just how much does he love the world. Does that make sense? So when God wants to say how much he loves the world... He, he tells us how much, and it is something that is actually infinite. That he gave his only son. He gave his only son. The father gave his only son. The, the love of God is so large, it's so great, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. He's the only son. There's no one else like him. He, he is the unique son. He is the one and only Son. He is God the Son. He is the eternal Son. He is God the second person. He is God in all His glory, in all His worth, in all His perfections, in all His holiness, in all His brightness, in all His wisdom, in all His love, in all His perfections that cannot, that cannot be contained in all of creation. God, Jesus is God fully. And, and, and he is beloved of the Father. There's been an eternal fellowship among the Trinity. And the Son has been part of that. So God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. He gave something of infinite worth for the world, for you and for me. That's how much he loves us. So when we start to grasp what he gave up, when we start to grasp who the Son is, and when we start to grasp and we understand that this one was given for me, this one was given for us, this one was given for any and all who would receive him, we start to grasp what the love of God is like. And this is also important. Your, your life, if you are a believer, your life is about grasping the love of God. Your maturity, your Christ-likeness is driven by how much you understand God's love for you. Your fruitfulness, your holiness, 
really only comes from knowing the love of God. Any other holiness is not holiness. It's something else. It's often hypocrisy. But real holiness is driven by the engine of knowing how much God loves us and responding to this love, saying, God, you love me this much. It's just incomprehensible. I I love you back. I want to live in you. I want to depend on your love. I want it to be my strength and my identity. I want it to be my source. And I, I love you and I will live in this love. And now be, through that I start to walk out Christ-likeness. This is so important to get. This is why Paul prays this way for the Ephesians, that they would know the dimensions of God's love. And, and if you read through the book of Ephesians, it's really about God's plan to make a people like Christ. And so he wants the Ephesians to understand the dimensions of this love. So it's worthwhile for us to meditate on this, to think about it. I think we have to understand the love of, among the Trinity to really grasp the love of God for us because this is the comparison, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who is the son? What's his love? What's the love among the Trinity? Because he's, he's uh, equating, in a sense, his love and value of the Son with his love for us. That's really, that's amazing, right? He's giving away his Son for us. So he loves us on the same scale as his love for the Son. That is, that is just mind-boggling. So it's good for us to dig into a little bit what the Scripture says about this intertriune love. So John 17, 24. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus says in John 5, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. John 14, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. There has been this eternal love among the Trinity. This ultimate valuing of one another. This loving each other, treasuring each other in the Trinity. Desiring the good and glory of each other in the Trinity that's gone on forever. And Jesus' mission here is certainly about the Father's love for us, and it's just amazing. But it's driven by, it's driven by His love for the Father. He wants to do what he does because he loves the Father and the Father loves him. That's what John, especially the Gospel of John, shows us. There's this love that's been there. And the thing that's amazing in these these passages in John 17 and elsewhere is that now we, as his disciples, as those who have turned from self and sin and turned to Christ, are now included in this eternal, infinite love among the triune God. So John 17 teaches us about this. The same love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Father, we are invited into. That's really amazing to think about. And that is the ground of, of this sort of love. That is the ground of grasping how much He loves us. He loves us just like He's loved the Son and the Father the, the Son, the Father. That's the, the scale. That's the love because God sacrificed, in a sense, that love and giving His Son away for us. And so we must place ourselves in the context of this love among the Trinity, I think, to really grasp 
this love. I, I've told the story before. Um, has anyone uh, ever heard of a Stradivarius? Know what a Stradivarius is? A violin, that's right. It's a, it's a beautiful violin. I'm not a violin player, but it's beautiful in, in its qualities, and it's also very ex- expensive. Some of the best violinists in the world own them. I think the latest one went for $3.6 million. There's another uh, group of violins that actually are of equal value. You don't hear about as much, the Guarneri violins. And they were made by the Guarneri family. It's an Italian family. There were three generations of Guarneris that worked together in the shop. Andrea, Giuseppe, and then his, uh, his, uh, Giuseppe's sons, Bartolomeo and Pietro. So this, these three generations worked together in this workshop to make violins, and they made amazing, really priceless violins. Just imagine, if you will, that you, for some reason, are given an apprenticeship to work with the Guarneri brothers. You are invited in to work with them. And you come in, first day on the job, there's three generations, they're working together, uh, they're creating these masters of art, and these beautiful works, these violins, um, they're, and, and you come in, you're, you're brand new. And these guys, just imagine them, I don't know, but I imagine they like working together, because they did. Um, you know, there are three generations working together, and you get to enter in. What would you do if you kind of were in that workshop? Would you come in and be like, hey guys, I got some ideas. Um, I think we ought to like move, rearrange the shop here. And uh, Bartolomeo, you know, I, I don't think you're best at that over there. You should, be, you should be the guy that does this part. You make the strings, not the body. And, uh, you know, Pietro, you, you do the shellac. Would you, would you do that? No, you'd come in and you'd just be awestruck, right? I, I think. And you would just watch. And you would just be amazed that you get to be there. The fact that I can even be here and watch these guys work. Now, I don't, at the time, they probably didn't know they were making history like they were. So, but just imagine what your reaction would be. Well, that's analogous to the eternal love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This glorious, eternal, rich, infinite love before the creation of anything. And forever, this love has been there. And now, through Christ, you are invited into the violin workshop to be one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are not God. There's no, problem, no implication I'm making there. You are a created being, but you are in the violin workshop. And there's this eternal love. And now the Father is saying, just as I love the Son, so I love you. That's amazing. That's the love of God. That's what the Bible teaches us about the love. That's what it means when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let me just show you another verse, because I want you to be convinced of this. Another verse from John 17. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for his disciples. I'm asking this for my disciples. Now I'm asking for those who will believe through the word they preach. That means you and me, right? We have come to believe through the Bible. And if you, by the way, if you are not yet a believer, we're glad you're here. Um, and we just want to invite you to receive the love of God. This is to any and all who would receive it. You just simply need to turn from self-determination and what the Bible calls sin, the things that are opposed to God, the things that are not of faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So it's when you say, I want to live life on my own, my way, doing my ideas. That's sin. So turn from that and receive the love of God for you and live in that forgiveness and that eternal life.
Jesus says, I ask not for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and, listen to this, love them even as you loved me. You have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is equating the love of the Father for him with the love of the Father for his disciples, for those who turn and trust. And there's this glory that Jesus displays and this glory of the Trinity that's put on display. And that we are to know this glory. Part of the love is beholding and enjoying the, the glory of God. That actually uh, is, when you, because God loves us, he wants us to see his glory and know him and all his greatness. And we'll never stop getting to know him. We'll never stop, we'll never get to the point where like, uh, I've, I've, I know all that. There's, we'll be more and more and more and more. We'll go on forever. This eternal glory. In his great love for us, he wants to give us the thing that's a, of eternal worth. When you love someone, right, you want to give them something good for them. And if you really love them, you want to give them the very best. And you will give up yourself for their very best. Well, the very best in the whole universe is what? God. In all his glory. Better than any created thing. He is the greatest in all his glory. And so the, the Trinity shares his glory and now invites us in, in love to know and see this glory. That's what Jesus is talking about here in John 17. And so you and I are invited into this glory and this glory is shown in so many ways. The person of God, it's shown in his creation. He shows his glory. Most of all, he shows his glory through the death of his son and the resurrection of his son from the grave to life eternal. This is infinite love. This is the love that is surpassing knowledge, the love that is for you. This is infinite love. This is what John 3.16 is talking about. I hope that helps. I hope that makes sense. And I know I didn't do it justice. I never can do it justice. It is always the, the dilemma of a pastor teaching and preaching, to try to do the Word of God justice. I cannot do this topic justice because it is the infinite love of God. I have tried to use metaphors and explanations of Scripture to give it to you, but, but it's beyond me. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take this truth and impact your lives. And I don't want you just to listen and hear it once again, merely. I want you to hear it and wrestle with it and realize that this is at the core this truth is at the core of your Christianity. This truth is at the core of who you are to be and what God would have you do. And you are not ultimately to do and be apart from this. And so wrestling with it and thinking through it and asking God to get it through your head. I have a thick skull. Lord, get, get it through my head, the truth of this love. And change me. Fill me. Make me like Christ. Make me a blessing to others. So I just want you to to take today's message and keep on thinking about it. Keep on praying about it. Keep on talking with one another about it. It should be the substance of our fellowship, our conversation, our, our friendship. It's infinite love. It's redeeming love as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The, the goal of this redeeming love, of this infinite love, is to rescue us, to, that we might not perish. Those who believe, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. It's, it's about a rescue. It's about rescuing us from perishing. Our natural state is one of being lost and condemned. John John 3 says that uh, the one that does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because it's our natural state. We are sinners by nature. We're already condemned. We're already separated. And that word condemnment condemnment is really, it's a word that's bigger than just that. It's a word that means kind of judgment. There's a decision that's been made, a just decision that's been made that sinners cannot, living in sin, also walk and know God unless they turn and trust him. It's the, the judgment has come. And if we are going to live by our own terms, apart from turning to Christ, we're going to stand judged by God already, saying, you don't want to trust me and to live in me, so here's what you want. That's condemnation. That's being separated from God. And that's the natural state where you're all in. And so God sent his son not to condemn the world. The world's already condemned in its sin. Sent his son to rescue us who are perishing. To rescue us from the state. 1 John 4 puts it this way. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. So the same sort of... Words, as in John, this is a letter by John, 1 John. He writes a letter to some Christians, to a church. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his Son to pay the price for our sins. Propitiation is an offering given to appease injustice, to appease wrath. It's to settle, in the sense, of debt. The truth is that God in his holiness cannot look at our sin and say, well, you know, ah, whatever, sweep it under the rug. He's holy, he's good, he is just. He will and does deal with all sin, every single bit of it. There's no sin that he doesn't deal with. He doesn't, doesn't have anything slip under the rug. He's holy, he's just, he must. And we stand in our sin as offenders against him. And so he sent his son to be a propitiation, to be a payment, to put away wrath, to deal with justice, so that penalty, that debt that we owe can be dealt with, so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can be redeemed from our sin. And that's what I'm talking about. It's redeeming love. He wants us to be redeemed from our sin, rescued from this, the penalty the power and the presence of sin. Sin has a penalty. Death. It has power. It gets a hold of us. It makes us do things we know are wrong. It's got power. And it's got a presence. It's in us. It's not just outside. It's most, most importantly, most horrifically, it's in us. And the biggest problem is the sin in, not the sin without. And Jesus came to pay for sins and to redeem us from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. If you are a believer, the penalty is paid for. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. The power is broken. And there's new power to obey in ways you couldn't before. 
And one day when you go to be with the Lord, the presence will be dealt with as well. Jesus came to redeem us. Probably the only context we use the word redeem or redemption is with soda cans, right? Bottles, soda and other bottles. They have redemption value. Have you guys ever done that? Ever turned them in? Was it five cents or is it ten cents? Is it still five? Ten cents in other places and stuff. Um, And so what do you do? You redeem the bottle. It's just litter on the side of the road, right? It's not really good for anything. It's actually bad for things. It looks ugly there and you want to pick it up. It's, uh, It's really of no functional worth. And so you redeem it. You bring it in for a better purpose. You you redeem it, you get money for it. It's of value. You change its condition from worthless to worth something. You change its state from forgotten, neglected, to counted. It's the same sort of word. God does that for us. We are soda cans on the side of the road, apart from him. There might be some potential there, there might be even some good there, but ultimately, eternally, in the grand scheme of things, there's, there's not something of true worth in and of ourselves. I mean, the image of God is there, but there's not worthiness. And that we are soda cans on the side of the road. And God redeems us in Christ. Christ pays this infinite payment for us because he loves us. It's amazing. God loves soda cans on the side of the road. He loves these soda cans. He loves these things. He loves us. And so he redeems us. He buys us back through Christ's blood shed for us. It's amazing that he would do it. Now, we're better than soda cans, so don't, don't, don't go out of here thinking Pastor Paul thinks we're just useless soda cans. I don't mean to say that. But the metaphor, I hope, works. We are like soda cans on the side of the road in our sin. We don't, and the, and the truth is too, we want to be soda cans on the side of the road. We'd rather be a soda can on the side of the road left to ourselves than to be, belong to the Lord. And so God loves us. It's just amazing. He redeems us. He redeems us with something. Not, it's just not about five cents worth. It's of eternal worth. This is Jesus' blood that paid for you. The blood of the holy, eternal, infinite God was shed for you. He is eternally worthy. He obeyed the Father in every way. He fulfilled all righteousness. He had lived with the Father from eternity past. He is infinite God in human flesh. He is of eternal worth. You will never be able to count how worthy He is. He is worthy beyond our comprehension. And He gave away that worth. He shed His blood. He died. He received the wrath of God, the penalty of God for you to pay for your sins and redeem you to Him. He is worth billions and billions. He is worth beyond our comprehension. One drop of His blood is worth far more than we could ever imagine. And yet this was shed for you to buy you back. Sinclair Ferguson talks about just how amazing it is that He would love us this much. So love us. So love the world that he gave his only son. He says this, when we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God's love goes in order to win us back to himself. We would almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. 
We cannot measure his love by any standard. He is saying to you, I love you this much. It's almost as if he loved us more than the eternal, eternally worthy, infinite Son of God. I hope, I hope that makes sense. I hope that sinks in to a degree. It's your inheritance if you're a believer, and it's an invitation to you if you're not a believer to receive it. And it's important in this to understand that this love doesn't come from you. God didn't look at that soda can on the side of the road and think, you know, I, I could use that for something. You know, I could, I don't know, I'm going to make a, a lamp out of all those bottles. You know, have a lamp in my house made out of redeemed soda cans or something. He didn't think that's not where it comes from. He didn't look at you and say, oh, now, now you are made in the image of God. There, you are worth something. Every human being is worth something made in the image of God. That's why murder is prohibited, Right? You cannot and should not ever touch the image of God. Human beings are worth something. But that's not what motivated him to redeem you. He didn't look and see something that was worthwhile there. Oh, he doesn't see potential. Oh, I just have this idea of what I want to do and all that. And I love this person because I see their potential. The scripture never teaches that. The love of God is rooted in the very nature of God himself. It flows from who he is, not from who you are. God has always been loving. It's who he is. It's, it's his, part of his characteristics. It's fundamental to his person. The quality of his love has always been there and will always be there. He is one who loves infinitely. It's who he is. John says again in 1 John, God is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. That sentence, God is love, doesn't mean that God is the ethereal idea of love. That's not what it's saying. It's meaning this is so fundamental to who he is that John could only say it this way, God is love. Love and God are so interconnected and it's so inseparable that he had to say God is love to explain it. It's at the core of who he is. He's infinitely, eternally loving. And because of that, he chose to love you. He chose to love those soda cans. He chose to love sinners. When there was in us every reason to be repulsed, Every unholy thing is in humanity. And yet he loved us more than that. It's grounded in who he is. And it's, it lasts forever. It is glorious, incomprehensible. It is so far above any other love that we would ever hear, as wonderful as human-to-human -human love is, as wonderful as Mr. Rogers is. The love of God is just so far beyond any other love, and so perfect in him. This is the love we're called to. Finally, it's inviting love. It's infinite, it's redeeming, it's inviting love. It's, it's a love that says, come and receive. John 3 
teaches us that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's inviting us to believe in him and not perish and have eternal life. So why not do it today if you haven't yet? Why not believe in him? Why not put your faith in him? Why not receive his forgiveness and his love? It's an inviting love, and and he, even as I'm speaking, I trust, is working to invite you to say, come. I know he is, because I'm saying it, I'm called to do it by the word. But I also trust the spirit is stirring in your hearts, if you're not a believer, to come. So come today, right now. Repent of your sin. Repentance doesn't mean get your life in order. It doesn't mean get holy and get perfect right now. Repentance is a change of attitude, simply. It's saying, I don't think about my sin the way I used to. I don't like it. I like Jesus better. That's simply what it is. I want him more than my sin. So when the Bible calls you to repent and believe, that's what it's saying. Believe in him, that he's as good as it says, and turn from the alternatives. So repent and believe right now. Receive his love for you right now. Live in it. It's an inviting love. It's a sure love. And the alternative is also motivation. Run away from the alternative. The alternative is to stay, remain in your sins. It says in 1 John, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you choose to remain there, you will have to pay the penalty yourself. You will have to live in the consequences of your choices and your sins. And if you choose so, that could go on forever and ever. You don't know the day or the hour of the end of your life. And if you have lived this life never receiving, repenting, receiving, you will spend eternity there. And this wonderful truth about Christ is the ultimate decision point for all of humanity. What we think about Jesus doesn't say so much about Jesus as it says about us. And the invitation to us is to receive this love, to live in this love, So come and and do this. And if you are a believer, same invitation to you. If the band could come up as we close. You know, it's really easy as a believer to start out in the love of God and to lose your first love. You start out with the love of God that's touched your life. You want to follow him. But then as time goes on, there are temptations, there's there's duties, there's activities, whatever it might be. And you start to, to change your focus and your motivations. And it's no longer the love of God. It's no longer living in his love for you and loving him and loving others. So the invitation's for you too. Now, if you're a believer, you are not condemned, you're forgiven right now, but you're still called to live in this love. You're still called to let it fill your heart and your mind and your life. You're called to love one another. Perhaps, it, perhaps this is how it might work to motivate you. Maybe as you think about those around you, family members, friends, maybe the church, people in the church, the church corporately, 
You are called to love these people earnestly from the heart. You're called to enjoy being with them. You're called to find ways to help the corporate body and individuals to serve. You're called to have friendships here, not necessary, not only here, but elsewhere as well. But you're called to have friendships. You're called to this. The scripture calls us to all these one another's. And I don't share that to condemn you, but I share that to motivate you because if you think about that and evaluate your life, I would expect you would say, you know what? I've got a little bit of work to do there. So what should we do? I mean, it's just a way to evaluate your heart and evaluate your life. Look at how you love others. Do you fall short? Yes. What is the answer? Turn from self-effort. Turn from sin. Turn to God's love for you. Meditate on this truth. Study it in the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with it. Tell others you struggle with it. Pray for one another. And ask the Lord to fill you so that you would know what is the breadth and length, height and depth of the love of God. That you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That your life would be changed. That you would start to love people in ways you've never seen. Not because you merely ought to, but because you want to. Because it's who you are. Because the love of God has touched you. That's the intention. All the commands of Scripture are there for us to know what it looks like. And it's not enough to do it out of mere duty. That's a start. That's not a bad thing. But to continue out of mere duty without heartfelt love is fundamentally a shortcoming of God's intention for you. So come back to that first love. Come back and ask, oh Lord, would you just put me in that violin shop and help me understand how much you love me and the love that I'm called to. Fill me up to love you and to love others in your name by your power because you first loved me. Lord, would you, would you help us would you forgive us cleanse us from our sins oh Lord our lovelessness we are sorry Lord not loving you and loving others. How we need your forgiveness. How we need your power. How we need your grace. Thank you for it, Lord. It is ours. By grace, through faith, we now turn to you and we ask you, Lord, would you show us your love? Would you make us a people who love one another deeply? that love the lost around us and love you with all of our being because you have first loved us. Show us this infinite love. Transform us and be glorified through us, we pray.